0: so i'm crazy you're counting your fingers and toes i'm talking about 0 oh oh i'll take that drink what makes you so big you can call me up to this dump and shoot off your mouth i got an idea that's why slater how would you like to pick up fifty thousand dollars all in small bills just for yourself Yourself, Ingram. You're just another black spot on Main Street. Shut that ugly mouth of yours, Earl. Get in the car.
1: Someday I'm gonna snap
0: off your poisoned head. Listen to me, Johnny. Back up, Burke. The odds will never be right. I know how to handle him.
1: I've been handling him all my life. He's no different because he got him a $20 pair of shoes. All right, Slater. Handle me.
2: The next time you call me, I'm gonna see you.
0: I'll be
1: waiting. You're not just another white spot to me. <laughs> At night, I tell you people, when that cold, cold sun goes down, I cry, I sigh, I want to die, cause my baby's not around.
0: Hello and welcome to Episode 5 of the Semi-Cinematic Podcast, where we talk about films of the highest and occasionally the lowest caliber, unfortunately. My name is Hunter.
1: My name is John.
0: My name is Max. We've been experiencing highs and lows in the horror genre, mostly highs, but one very low low. Check out our conversation on the abysmal event horizon if you want to hear the lows. And for a high, listen to our review of The Hidden. What a remarkable film.
1: It's so much fun there's fun in, in both the highs and the lows yeah for sure um but yeah there were there were some serious lows very serious
2: very and serious,
1: serious highs absolutely it's a roller coaster
2: we'll have to we'll have to re event horizon again I don't, I don't know third time's a
0: charm yeah yeah no it's um maybe in january there you go all right, and this oh, month wow. we'll be watching and reviewing film noirs to coincide with Noir November. Now, how do you feel about forcing the genre of noir into the month of November? How do you feel about that concept in general? Because there's also Shaw Timber, watching Shaw Brothers movies in September, which I think is even worse. That's, that's, <laughs> Shaw Timber just has no ring to it.
1: I think I like Noir November. I mean, um, this makes me think is there a genre celebrated for every month uh I remember like if it makes sense there's so many i mean i'm looking at a list today of they're trying to come up with a thousand films that are actually noirs i don't know if they'll get there they're not quite there yet but there's certainly plenty to choose from and it's it's a genre i enjoy so i'm more likely to be okay with it being a whole month because of that because it's so really fun i just get really comfortable watching it it's just like i kind of know. the the core elements of most of these and i'm just kind of waiting for these things to happen i love the time period that most of them are in uh there's a lot of suspense involved uh i'm i'm very pro noir member for sure
2: it is a very sentimental month you got the holiday thanksgiving and time with family if anything you know that's what noir is good for is is that sentimental just those feelings that it, it brings up in you
0: as you watch those movies We'll go with that. I don't agree, but I I, I like it. <laughs> what do you think? Are you
1: are you are you uh, rebelling at you against against this month?
0: I considered it honestly, but I I think I will watch uh, quite a few noirs in November. I, I do have just some want- on my watch list that I I, I, I would like to uh, check out in November for sure.
1: I'm sure some horror will spill over into November. Oh, uh, horror
0: well. will spill over. It, it spills over into every month. Well, Film noir, I mean, most people probably know this, but it's, you know, it's a genre known for you know, stark lighting, desperate men, femme fatales, and hard-boiled dialogue, which dialogue in film noir is one of its strengths. And uh, there are many classics in the genre, you know, hailed by critics and filmmakers, and uh, the term was first coined by a French critic named uh, Nino Frank. And the genre was a, a huge influence on French New Wave filmmakers Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut. This week, I'm selecting the movies we'll be discussing, and I've chosen Max Ophel's The Reckless Moment and Robert Wise's Odds Against Tomorrow. But before we get into the reviews, let's talk about what we've been watching. Uh, Max, have you have you watched any movies that don't have Deborah Carr or Barbara Stanwyck recently? I, I have
2: been continuing on this streak pretty strongly here. I, I, I watched uh, The Night of the Iguana. Which that was, was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting that, and I don't know that Deborah Carr is necessarily the star. Um, <laughs> it's Richard Burton and Eva Gardner. Is that John Huston? Uh, it is. Okay. Yep. Um, that was a fun one. Um, but Deborah Carr does does show up and, and plays a, a pretty pivotal role. And then uh, from here to from here to eternity, um, that's been on the watch list for for quite a bit and that was streaming on uh, Criterion, so I, I checked that out and, again, had a, had a lot of fun with that. Um, I mean, again, that's that's a pretty well-rounded cast, though, so you can't go wrong with Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Clift, uh, Donna Reed, Frank Sinatra. It's, uh, it's a good watch. Like I said, it's on Criterion right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll, I'll branch out here in a little bit.
0: Um, but, yeah, going strong now Donna Reed should become your third woman she's quite the gal i I was
2: surprised to see her in uh, in that cast I, I most people probably will know her as Jimmy Stewart's love interest um, in the holiday classic that is it's a wonderful life uh, which mm-hmm. is coming up uh next month that, that'll be watched uh, probably at least twice so mm-hmm. um, but yeah no she uh she was a fun one in this um one of the, a, a, a dance gal that Montgomery Clift uh, falls for and tries to domesticate, which, uh, you know, you, you'll just have to watch and see how that goes. Yeah.
0: Probably Man. not well. I have seen sure. it, but it's been a very long time. It's been a long time for me,
1: too. I, Donna Reed is great. I've only seen her in It's a Wonderful Life, but I was smitten right away. I thought, mm-hmm. of, and I'd only seen It's a Wonderful Life for the first time last year, which is pretty wild. Consider it. Now, is, I think yeah. it is. And I loved it, but it just had never happened for me. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, it's a movie and unfortunately I just can't watch anymore. I, I I've just seen it enough. I, I saw it so many times when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and that I remember the enough. last time I watched it, I was with a group of friends and I was trying to get them to watch Home Alone, but somehow they well, they were presenting Watch the idea of watching It's a Wonderful Life as if it was my idea in the first place. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch Home Alone. But we did watch It's a Wonderful Life, and and that night just killed it for me. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Was that all that you had, Max? Um, that is, other than our,
2: our our joint watch, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into here shortly. Uh, we will. We will.
0: Now, now, John, what have you been watching recently?
1: Well, it was a bit of a short turnaround this week so but i did get a few movies in i watched for the first time i'm still in the horror you know genre for the most part i watched henry portrait of a serial killer from 1986 uh directed by john mcnaughton um actually it was pretty good it was interesting uh pretty low budget the acting is not great except for the lead michael rooker who plays the aforementioned serial killer, Henry Um, really interesting. It just really just shows something interesting. It does for the first half of the film, instead of showing the killings themselves, it um, shows the, like a a still image or a moving image of the, of the bodies. And then some almost voiceover sound over of the conflict happening but they don't show it. They just show like the audio of whatever the struggle was that led up to the killing. Um, kind of shows a lot of like what a serial killer does in their downtime, which is interesting. Um, I, I give it a probably a three and a half out of five, and I, I enjoyed it. I had never seen it, and it's on a lot of lists. Um, I think they did a pretty good job with a very very tight budget. Uh, Other than that, we all watched a certain movie we're going to discuss in a minute. And then I also watched from 1993, Kronos by Guillermo del Toro. I like this too. It's kind of one of those movies where you discover something and it's it's something where you may gain. In this case, you may gain um, eternal life, but it comes at a cost uh don't want to say too much more than that but there's a little girl in this who is awesome like she's really she's cute and tough and sweet someone you would root for and there's a grandpa in this who's pretty cool too he, he's the lead um it's on criterion right now i think it is it guillermo, guillermo de toro's first feature
0: it's at least his first feature length film uh, he yeah. may have made some shorts, or maybe like, maybe he did some uh, television in Mexico.
1: Okay, yeah, but I enjoy I enjoyed both of these movies. Uh, that's probably a a three and a half as well. And then other than that, that's all I had except for uh, Titan, which we all watched together in a theater. What did you watch this week, Hunter?
0: Um, I I really only wanted to talk about one movie called uh, Sator. <laughs> okay. Um. It's a low budget, uh, slow burn horror movie that, that I, I I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it. It has some of the kind of the scares and it reminded me of Lake Mungo. And Ooh, I think Lake Mungo that is awesome. I, I, I love Lake Mungo. Um, me too. And the cinematography and the score and sound design I thought were really good. It is slow and, and it is a, a low budget movie, but it, it does look really nice. It's streaming on Shudder, and I, I I would say it's it's worth checking out, but it does require some patience, though, because it, it's definitely a, a slow, slow pace for sure. How do you spell that? Oh, it's S-A-T-O-R.
1: Okay, yeah, mm. that sounds, sounds like something I would like, possibly.
0: Yeah, it has some, definitely some Lake Mungo vibes. And it the story gets compared to Hereditary, but I actually don't. I didn't find it to be that similar to Hereditary. I guess mm. we'll see. TBD. All right, we, should, should, we should discuss this other uh, this film we saw together. We're should dancing we around each, it. Should we each take a turn with the title?
1: <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll try. Uh, we we did a little research before the podcast, uh, something like Titan. Titan? Titan. Titan. Not Titan. Of the Palm d'Or. Dior? Palm d'Or? Dior? Yeah, Palm
0: D'Or, yeah. Huge. So yeah, so we saw this together. It's um it's being hailed as the most shocking film of all time by some jokers. And I um it is the most shocking film I've ever seen in Altamont Springs, Florida. Clearly but, they uh, haven't seen Event Horizon, so I did not see Event Horizon in Altamont, but that that movie didn't shock me either. Um, I don't know where I saw that,
1: I saw it somewhere in a the theater when it came out, but I don't know if it was Altamont. I was more shocked by, it, I must say.
0: Yeah. So, what did you guys think of this uh, experience? Go ahead, for Max. Give it, give it, give it to us. Give us
1: your thoughts.
2: It. It was fun to share with you guys. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was you know I'm glad I saw that with with a crowd and and, and not by myself um, I don't know how I would have felt, but it sticks with you, you know it's one that you ponder over and, and, and think about and yeah, I don't know.
1: it's definitely interesting. there's some parts I really like there's some parts it loses me a bit, and then there's there's things where I'm like maybe this is over my head and the director Mm -hmm. is doing something which I respect when a director doesn't spoon feed you things for sure. But there's times when things go over my head and maybe I can't appreciate them as much, or maybe it's something where I'd need to go back and rewatch. Not that I necessarily want to rewatch this film anytime soon. Um, And I also have this thing where, where I like when something's weird, but Maybe not for the sake of being weird, and I don't know. This is really on that line whether some things are just for the sake of being strange or whether it, it's cohesive to the message. I think the message in this film is a little bit muddled, but I do think it's interesting, and i fully, I fully support female uh, directors, and I'm interested to see what she does next. Uh, I probably liked Raw a little bit more
0: previous film. Yeah, I I loved raw. I, I liked raw way more uh, than this movie. I did love the filmmaking. I, I definitely the style mm-hmm. reminded me of Gaspar Noé, who, I, who I'm also I'm not a big fan of his movies, but I do like his uh, his style. And there's some extreme violent imagery in this that definitely like affected me, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't happen often. I mean, you, you, if you've heard me talk about baby blood, you know I've seen it all. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just I, I enjoyed—I liked the experience, but it just didn't add up to much uh, for me. Someone
1: asked me, I think I had posted it on my Instagram, and they asked me if it was good. And I just said, I haven't really seen anything quite like it. I think that's a fair response. Let someone decide on their own. I, so I wouldn't say, don't see this. But I wouldn't say you know see it immediately. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but I think, I think I would there's never more say fun yeah, to, us to see
1: it together too. I think I think seeing it with people who you can discuss it with afterwards probably makes for a better experience. If I went to see it by myself, I probably would have felt a little bit more uncomfortable. If that makes sense. Yeah, it was wild. It was definitely wild.
0: Yeah, quite, it's an interesting quite. experience. one that I. I mean I may never experience that again
1: I'd say maybe if you can go in not knowing anything about it like I did and you might it might be a, more fun
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know as fun as it can be mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's Just, uh,
2: um, there is a great firehouse mosh pit rave scene um, <laughs> Yeah, that is that is my highlight <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, go in,
0: go in blind and go from there. Now I will say, hopefully this doesn't spoil too much. Um, there is a wonderful murder weapon in this movie. That hair. Yes. What, what would you call that? That she wears in her hair.
1: It's, it's like almost like chop- chopstick. Yeah. But like as a hair and in-
0: what a strange <laughs> thing to wear in your hair. Mm. <laughs> But she, she pulled it off. Oh, we should mention it is a
2: French movie. Yes. It is, it is in French. There are subtitles. Yes. FYI. That should not dissuade you, but just, again, yeah,
0: good to, good to be forewarned. All right, cool. So the first movie we're talking about is the, uh, the Max Ophuls directed noir, The Reckless Moment. And I don't know if y'all saw this in the credits, but it's based on a story that was published in the Ladies Home Journal.
1: I did see that, yes. I don't know what it was called, but I remember noting that ladies' home journal
0: story. Yeah, it was called The Blank Wall. It was written by Elizabeth Holding, and it was uh, adapted again in 2001. Uh, and I actually, I don't have the, the title here in front of me, but I know that the, uh, oh my gosh. Now I'm blanking the, on. Uh, the, the Deep End? Yes. Yeah, what's yeah. that actress's name who's in it? Uh, Tilda. Tilda, yeah, Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Oh. It, it, it looks like it looks like it got some pretty good reviews, too. I'm not going to check it out, though. I I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, um, this was, you know, as previously previously stated, directed by Max Ophels. And he's credited as Max Opels. They dropped the H for some reason. Yeah, that was weird. Mm. Very unprofessional. Mm. Yeah, I almost shut it off because i just there's thought there's no story just... behind that like i didn't find English one or something hmm. i don't yeah. know
1: it's It 19... was just... it's
0: 1949
2: so i wonder the german connection
1: that's kind of what i was thinking but just with no evidence just an impression like i don't know
0: well, it could be but, but this um... is
2: also his last movie right before he left america or his last american film
0: I think so. I think he made three English language movies and then went back to uh, back overseas. Mm-hmm.
1: Is this your rewatch or your new one? This is a first time watch.
0: OK. Yeah. And so the and the first time I heard of Max Ophuls was through uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He's cited him as an influence. And I don't think The Reckless Moment has the same level of craftsmanship that Ophuls has in his French movies like lola montez or the earrings of madame do have you all seen either one of those movies or any other max Ophuls movies i don't this think I my have. First.
1: yeah i know he's known for you know his visual style and but i haven't gotten to anything yet this is the first one for me i believe i'm double
0: checking yeah some of his camera work and and shots like his tracking shots were pretty pretty ahead of its time um, I didn't think that the reckless moment, uh, yeah, the reckless moment had, you know, sort of the the flair, I guess we'll say, of Lola Montez. But I, I, I thought it was pretty, it was pretty nicely directed. It was produced by Walter Wanger, and he was married to the star of the movie, Joan Bennett, at the time. And the following year, Wanger thought that his wife was having an affair with her agent. He had caught them together in, in her car. And he actually shot the agent twice. He uh, uh, one bullet hit him in the leg, and the other got him in the groin. Yeesh, that's that's, oof, that's mm-hmm. couldn't be good. That but, um, is trouble. Yeah, but I, I thought that that was cool because because they weren't only making film noirs together; they were living one. Right, <laughs> they really were. Um, <laughs> also, we watched this.
1: I know, or at least I watched it on um, a YouTube channel, and it looked really good. A lot of times, stuff on YouTube. You know the quality's pretty poor, or it's just like something that's not on DVD or Blu-ray, and it's just like an old VHS transfer or something. But this actually looked really nice, uh, yeah, really good quality.
0: It is in the public domain here in the states, but there I think that there's been a recent um, restoration for a uh, UK Blu-ray release, and so I'm pretty sure that that's the one that um, that I saw on YouTube. Yeah, it
1: looked really nice. Gotta say.
0: Uh, and this film was shot by uh, Burnett Guffey, and he won an Oscar. Max, you'll appreciate this. He won an Oscar for From Here to Eternity. Uh, ha, ha. We, yeah. we, come, we come full circle. And uh, and he also won an Oscar for Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, and this was James Mason's third American movie, and this was his second time working with Max Ophels. Uh, their previous movie was called Caught, which caught is just a terrible title are you guys interested in seeing caught based on the title alone
1: well for a second there i thought it was c-o-t caught like just a sad bed <laughs> but now i'm thinking it's c-a-u-g-h-t as in apprehended is that correct yes <laughs> is it like is it caught exclamation point
0: no no see that's caught,
1: it's more it's caught.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <Sounds like> an
2: <laughs> oh barbara bell gettys from vertigo fame
0: but yeah, it came out the same year as The Reckless Moment, but I, I won't be watching it because the title just doesn't grab me.
1: You haven't seen it? you just just like, no. you're I, not just know, I just know it's Ophuls and Mason. Ophuls, Mason, caught, catch it.
0: <laughs> like a book by its cover, a movie by its title. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'll, I might watch it someday, but I, I, I do really doubt it. Maybe that's a really good tagline. Maybe. Letterboxd. Now, speaking of taglines, did you all see the tagline for this movie on Letterboxd? Yes. Pretty brutal. It could happen to so many married women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's see Exclamation
1: what, point.
0: Right. What yeah. was happening in the late 40s? That that tagline made sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty strong tagline. Considering I, uh, the movie, yeah, that is... <laughs>
1: i guess it kind of ties in with the ladies home journal thing too like i wonder mm. i wonder if a lot of married women saw this kind of see like oh this could be me what would i do in this situation and that might have intrigued them
0: yeah, which mean, it could be
2: the daughter yeah i guess took your daughter out with some mysterious man you don't know who he is and, and what he's up to
1: like yeah you know i wonder uh i don't want to, i don't want to jump ahead i'll get to that later never mind <laughs> something that mysterious man said in the film, uh, I, was, I was wondering about it, but
0: I'll wait. Okay, you can yeah, you'll wonder later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, the movie is about a woman who discovers the uh, the dead body of her seventeen year old daughter's significantly older boyfriend and uh, she does whatever it takes to protect her family's uh, reputation, I guess. Is that, yeah. is that a decent summary? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And at the beginning, we meet Joan Bennett's character, uh, Lucia Harper, and she's she drives to Los Angeles to have a word with Ted Darby, who is you know her her daughter's older boyfriend, and you know she goes to see him and asks and tells him to stop seeing her, and and he suggests that he would stop seeing her if she were to pay him, and and uh, so you get a a very quick understanding of what this guy is like I mean he's pretty for a late 40s movie having someone his age well one like dating a 17 year old I think he tries to say too oh she's 18
2: and then Lucia says no she's 17
1: he says 18 next month or something yeah something, oh yeah.
2: that's right
1: classic he creep justify, line. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So he,
2: knows, he knows that she's not 18
1: yeah he's keeping track
2: <laughs> well i was gonna say that's all in the first five minutes which is impressive again for the for 1949 yeah this movie it definitely moves I'll, I'll
0: i'll definitely say that for it um and then yeah Bennett returns home and you know and tells her daughter about the argument and 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 her daughter uh, is played by geraldine brooks uh, and her character's name is is it's just b right do they call her yeah. beatrice sometimes a couple times yeah uh, but okay be, i think yeah. And so she says that she'll continue to see him and accuses her mother of being old fashioned.
1: I think the boyfriend Our, call, calls her first to like, you know, get a leg up on the on what happened.
0: Yes. And like, kind of skew it his way. Yeah. That snake. <laughs> Later that night, uh, B sneaks out of the house to meet uh, Darby in the boathouse and she asks him if it's true, you know, what her mother said about him saying that he would stop seeing her if she paid him off. And he, and he confirms it by saying that, you know, that he's desperate for money and, you know, she, you know, loses it. There's a bit of a struggle and she hits him with a flashlight and he, uh, he stumbles and then falls off the dock. And then the, uh, the next morning Bennett's character goes for a walk and discovers the body on the beach. And then it's landed on an anchor. And I really like the way that this scene is done, I, I mm-hmm. love any time there's a, susp- a suspenseful scene that doesn't have any score. I feel like if you're yeah. it, like instrumentation, it takes you out of the reality of the movie. Whereas like when mm-hmm. it's silent, it, it's way more absorbing and you feel the suspense more. And it's,
1: with the score all the time, even if it's like interesting or effective, it's kind of it's spoon feeding you how to react or how to feel. Like, right this is a moment where you should be tense or this is a moment where you should be uh, whimsical or whatever it's very
0: yeah it's you queuing know, you up for, yeah, how to feel yeah yeah so what did you think of the uh, like the the setup of the movie so far
1: oh there's one point right before um, he falls where he says it's not what you think and we never find out what he <laughs> was gonna say that's what I was wondering about is he is it as shady as it seems or was it something else going on there but we'll never know Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah that interested me that maybe he wasn't as well he's probably pretty bad but it's interesting that they chose to have him say that as right as he falls Mm i don't know um i love i'll say just in general i think joan bennett in this movie is so good she's just so believable as this mom who she just like has so much going on, so many responsibilities. She's like has this situation where she her husband's out of the country. She's doing everything on her own. Um, she does a great job portraying anxiety, and you kind of just like feel for her and like feel what she's feeling whenever you see her on screen. Um, she's not even necessarily super likable or charming, but I don't know. I, I, it's like something compelling about her. I really I really enjoyed her performance a lot.
2: Yeah, she, yeah, just kind of like no nonsense. Just there's no like hand wringing of like what to do. I mean, she just kind of jumps right into it in terms of you know taking care of of her family and 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 fixing um, what her daughter has done, you know, or or just been a part of. But even the the opening scene, it's just you know again just on the way to L.A. Um, to go talk to this criminal and and set him straight uh you know it it sets up her character pretty well
0: yeah i think that she's good at like it's kind of an understated performance too like it's not over the top Mm -hmm. um like i think she plays it pretty real it's like she could have easily have been you know hysterical and you know losing it the whole movie but i think you can see the anxiety while also Seeing that she's trying to conceal it at the same time, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, she's not being melodramatic really at all. And there's one point where she loses it, but it kind of makes sense, and it's kind mm-hmm. of like she's been holding it in for so long, and now it's it's gonna finally come out. Uh, yeah, I, I like the understated performance too. I think that, and like you said, she's trying to do all this while keeping her family not really knowing what's going on, or like not not stressing them out, taking all the burden on herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. I, I really, I just really, really liked
0: how she took this role. All right. So then she, okay. So she drags the body uh, down the beach and she dra- put you know, drags it into a boat and then she takes the boat out onto uh, the ocean or the bay. I'm not sure, sure exactly where this is set. I'm assuming it's just south of Los Angeles. I
1: think it's just 50 miles
0: like Balboa oh,
1: right
0: engines. yeah oh about, yes I do remember that name now mm-hmm. and so you know she looks around you know she doesn't see anybody and you know she drives off with them and then now one thing that I don't remember seeing and I even rewound it is they don't show her dump the body right they do they no. only show her dump the anchor the anchor just I the anchor I, yeah
1: I was so confused by that too I was like where'd the body go
0: yeah. Right. I was very confused. But yeah. So, OK, that confirms they didn't show it.
1: Something where they just didn't want that shown on screen. A woman dumping a body, maybe at the time.
0: Or was she only dumping the anchor? Did, did she dump the body somewhere else? Is that what was happening? They were saying that it was found in some swamp. Hmm.
1: So she had to have moved it. But I would imagine for it's
2: shorter. a decency, yeah, kind of like a ratings board kind of thing of yeah, not wanting to show um yeah, a woman, you know, dumping a, a dead body. Mm, that's Does a that shame. Be- I know. I
0: the I person, enjoy yeah, a dead body sure. dump. <laughs> 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 DPG. <laughs> you gotta you gotta
2: be clear on that of yeah, you know, the dumping of a dead body, not a Yes, the jumping. way you
0: said it is 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 better. Is preferred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All so right. Bennett, she comes home, and um, and that's when she meets Mr. Donnelly, who's played by James Mason, and he has letters that were written by B to Ted Darby, and he attempts to blackmail her for five thousand dollars. And I, 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 as good as Joan Bennett is, I think James Mason is awesome in this movie. He's He's definitely giving a very different performance. Like, he's not a similar actor to Joan Bennett. Like, he's, it's very expressive. There's later, scenes later in the movie where she has some lines that kind of, that, like, really hurt him. And he expresses um, kind of, like, what he's feeling very effectively. Like, what what did you guys think of his performance in it?
1: Uh, I'm not always a huge James Mason fan, but I, I liked him a lot. I don't dislike him per se, but I'm, sometimes I can like take him or leave him, but I liked him here too. I liked that dynamic of, um, he's expressive. She's buttoned up. It's a, it's a really good contrast the way he is towards, towards her later in the film. I, I really did believe it. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it definitely felt real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought he did a really good job. It was very interesting, interesting twist on the, noir genre too you don't really necessarily see a romance turn like this way it's like it's a little bit flipped from the normal way things go if that makes sense um it's just uh i don't know it's just it's not the normal for me plot structure you have this she's not really a femme fatale but But yeah, right you know what i mean like i like that that's different yeah, I thought I thought James Mason was really good. It, yeah, like I said, I like that um his background. He's going to be a more passionate vocal person, and her her background, she's going to be more tight laced, and you know she's a mom, and it's just a really good contrast together mm-hmm. when like on screen together. Uh, very interesting.
0: Yeah, and even though she's you know, obviously married and has a family, like you you kind of later in the movie are really like cheering for James Mason. And um, and not that you want to see him you know break up a family or anything, but um, I don't know. You get to really like him, even though I think early on you still kind of are feel fearful. Fear, whoa, I can't say fearful. <laughs> fearful, <laughs> yeah, you know, for her when he when she gets home and he's you know at her at their house. Yeah. Well, he does a good job. You have like kind of the menacing
2: of like, Oh, you know, your mom and I are going to be shopping for homes tomorrow. <laughs> um, and it's like, that's not, you know, again, it's very clear to the audience. Like this is a threat. This is a, you know, we'll be taking care of business here and getting this money.
1: Even at his worst, he still respects her wanting to keep this from the rest of her family. And mm, that's a good point. It's yeah. like, You kind of see little glimpses of his inherent kindness, even at his worst. And it kind of just you see it more and more as his character develops in the
0: film. Yeah. And I like when um, the the next morning they arrange, you know, she's going to meet him um, somewhere in town at at, at 930. And he actually shows up at the house because she's late. I like Mason, uh, his character's interactions with other members of the family. Like the dad immediately likes him and wants him to stay for dinner. And then there's a scene where um, Bennett's son is working on a car and Mason goes over mm-hmm. and helps him. Is it, does he fix a horn? I can't remember exactly what he does. Yeah, it was horn. a
2: it was a car horn. And the only reason I know this is because my Jenny and my wife came in from the other room and said, what is that noise? Please turn it down.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> it's a pretty good car horn. 1949
0: <laughs> can we
1: please mention how weird and hilarious this david kid was he there was is... a,
2: yeah there was a review of like he sounds like a 37 year old man
1: <laughs> there's and one he's... point where they are going to bed and he's like i've got to get my uh what is it like uh, i'm a grown boy i've got to get my rest
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah child he's... acting in the 40s and 50s is is usually pretty bad. And I couldn't tell, like, if this was like, I, I don't know, but it, this is an aside, but like
2: his vocal track sounded so different from the rest of the movie, for me, at least. I, I don't know if that's, just a, uh, if that's just how we watched it you know, on a YouTube
0: stream, but it sounded just like dubbed somewhere else. There was quite a bit of ADR in the movie yeah
1: especially Mm. some of the outdoor there's some outdoor scenes like by the dock with like when there's a bunch of kids out there yeah those were definitely done later you could just it's just obvious and there was no nothing was um synced to lips It was kind of characters were looking the other way and they'd add a line in there it might have Mm -hmm. just been
0: too windy to use like on set dialogue Mm -hmm.
1: i also enjoyed the old lady at the post office uh who didn't wrap her package correctly. And then she's like, do you guys even have tape here? Oh, she's all so offended. It was in that, it was a couple of funny little comedic breaks that, mm-hmm. uh, was a nice little break from the stress of the film. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Didn't seem coming either. Like it's, it's nice when you just like out of nowhere, there's a little light moment.
0: Yeah. And so after Mason gets the, uh, the horn fixed, he and, uh, Bennett, they drive, I think they they drive back to yeah they do go back to L.A. um mm-hmm. and um and they drive by some some place where Bennett says that her son had worked there selling hamburgers and she says that you know he worked hard for his money something that Mason's character probably never did and you can see that like that comment really really gets to the Mason's character mm-hmm. and and this is and it's one line that she delivers like. It's very cold, like the way she she you know, performs that scene. Yeah. And then Bennett, you know, she makes a phone call to um, to B's aunt. So it could be Bennett's sister or the dad's sister. But um, now B you know wants to go there for a little bit you while know, well, oh, Lake, right? Lake, Lake Tahoe calm down, Lake Tahoe, which which seems like from an outsider, that would almost seem like an admission of guilt. Would mm. you agree?
1: Yeah. Getting out of town. It's suspicious for sure.
0: Very suspicious. Yeah. I think that there's something interesting in this scene. I don't know exactly how to how to phrase this, but I think that there's a subtle thing that that Mason's character does here where he at the location where they're making the phone call. Uh, Bennett has like placed an order to be picked up and Mason picks it up for her. And, you know, and he leaves, like, you know, helping her with the order. And I think doing something like that in a public place, like having that kind of familiar familiarity, like would really get under the skin of Bennett's character, because, you know, this is something that could be you know, ruining her own re- uh, reputation. What did you guys think about that?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the scene. Yeah, like it's like I think the clerk says something like, oh, are you with um, Mrs. Harper? And then, yeah, James Mason's character, you know, responds yes or whatever and, you know, and grabs the package. That's the same scene, right? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. And so I think, again, like like, like you're saying, that, you know, this whole most of this movie is about her you know, taking actions to preserve her family's reputation. And so now being so you know closely intertwined um, with this character and, you know, you know, who does he know and, and who knows him and, and, and how will she be wrapped up in this? It does add, I think, yeah, to the kind of complexity and, and, and the the fun of the story of, of how is this is going to re- resolve itself. So yeah, I I liked the interactions, you know, at, at this point in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. It is surprising that he does that. It it doesn't really it doesn't fit necessarily with with his actions before, where he's so careful around the family about not discussing what's going on. Um, I think maybe he's a little bit swept up in the moment of doing something a little bit domestic with her because he also gets her that cigarette filter and that's when you really get the sense that he does have this these feelings for her
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know like oh something that's more than just you know respecting her as a mother in her position like he actually is interested in her he gets her that little gift and sneaks it in there into the package um, and that's like the first real, I mean, I, I, think also what, you know, how hurt he is by the comment about the, the working hard. Um, but this too, like it's more, you get a little bit of a romantic feel from him for the first mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. but very interesting how he's just like so familiar in the store in public like that. Yeah. I, I uh, it's a noteworthy moment. Yeah.
0: And then they leave and Mason asks how the call went. And and she said that the call wasn't about the money and and Mason that's when he says that he's not on his own and that he has a partner which you know Bennett doesn't believe and then this is where uh, it cuts to Bennett's father uh, talking to the cops about the Darby murder and they don't take anything he says seriously but Bennett's uh, dad does tell her that they asked. that they want to speak to her because a couple of fishermen saw her out that morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And that ratchets up the suspense a little bit. Um, And then Bennett gets a call from Mason and, and he immediately says that, you know, he understands that she probably can't talk right now, but Nagel insists that they get uh, the money by, by Wednesday. And, and Mason says that it can just be 2,500. He doesn't even want to take his share anymore. And then uh, she brings the money to Mason and and he tells her that she can keep the money because they found the murderer. And that was mm-hmm. very I did not see this coming at all. Yeah. And then she asked um, if the person will, be, if the accused will be punished. And you know she feels guilty because she knows that he didn't commit the murder. Right. And you get the sense that this is somebody that maybe Mason uh, framed. Is that is that did you think that that was implied? It Maybe would make a sense. Bit. yeah. Because he says the line. It seemed like yeah, he
1: definitely.
2: Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say like yeah, because it's like it doesn't, he says something along the lines of like you know he's guilty of a hundred other things, mm-hmm. or you know so it doesn't really matter if he did this specific crime or not because he should be in jail anyway. Which I mean, semi flawed logic, but. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if, it's, if it's someone that he knows, um, and it's a way to get you know, kind of get him out of the picture, it, it is interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, it isn't totally clear whether he knows this person, or he's just saying these things to calm her down. But I, I yeah. do think it sounds more like he knows the person that's
0: been arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's and the like, way that I took it.
1: I don't know how that person... Does it does it say how they get out of jail after this, like
0: or why? No. Now, Nagel does tell um, Bennett's character that, you know, the man was released. But I don't remember there being a reason why. But, yeah, Nagel no. does go over to the house to you know, try to get the money for the for the letters. And, and, and at this point, it, um, Mason has gone looking for Nagel and can't find him. And so he goes over to uh, the house as well. And uh, Mason and Nagel have have a struggle and Mason ends up uh, killing him. Well, he does kill him before they drive off. Right. Yeah. Yes. Strangle. Yeah. Strangles him. Yeah. yeah. So he strangles him and then and then they they drive off and uh, Mason is injured. He's been stabbed in the arm with a with a broken bottle. And and so Bennett asks Sybil, uh, like their servant or I guess their their maid, who's played by Francis Williams. And this is a weird thing. I don't know if this is just something that comes with the t- with the era of filmmaking, but Frances Williams is not credited for this movie. And she's in it huh. quite a bit. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. But it, it, and like if you look it up, it, you know, it, it does list her name now, but it says uncredited and gives you know, her credit right. name just doesn't appear in the credits. But it's just very, very unusual for you know, considering the size role she has. But maybe uh, it's got something to do with her, you know, being black.
1: Yeah, it could be a time period thing for sure. Yeah. There was one character who's very brief, um, that lieutenant on the boat who's asking questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recognized him. He's in a lot of stuff later on, but he was uncredited also. But he only had like one or two lines, so I don't know if there was just like a very small amount of people credited in this film, but. But she for I mean, she's like, you know, like top would be top 10 on the on the sheet on mm-hmm. uh, like a, a film now. So I mean, she's and it, throughout she's constantly interacting with Joan Bennett about what's going on and kind of getting a feel for that something's wrong, but not having all the information. Yeah,
0: and, yeah. You know, she's like she's actually an important character. Like, it's not yeah. just that she's there, you know, just just you know, serving the family. Mm-hmm. No. Not at all. But yeah, yeah so Mason and, and you know, he drives off with Nagel's uh, body, and Sybil and and Bennett they 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 follow, and and Mason ends up driving off the road, and and Bennett does she does go down to try to help him, and you know Mason insists that they drive off so that they aren't you know discovered at the scene of the accident, and then, um in the end, Bennett's uh, husband calls. And, and right after he calls, the daughter comes home, and they had just driven by the accident. And before Donnelly, yeah, you know, the character James Mason plays died, he confessed to the murder. like, yeah, you know, he like he took the rap uh, to protect their the family. And I think this is a like an awesome ending. It really makes you like like James Mason even more and make you feel like sad that he dies. But um, mm-hmm. I thought the ending was really strong.
1: Yeah, I like I like how um, emotional Joan Bennett gets for Donnelly too. This is where she finally finally releases and kind of lets go and just like really uh, has this like flood of emotion and sadness for for what he did for her and the sacrifices he made and just the whole situation. I'm sure all this built up anxiety she's felt just all kind of comes out at once uh and it really does things kind of really do tie well together here at the end um it's kind of a great dynamic of getting this news about the accident and what donnelly did and the the father calling from germany and just like you know just not having no idea all this has happened it's just i like the way it ends as well it was it was effective for me for sure yeah, Jeez, not, what, a, what a Christmas, Jeez. Yeah, they Fruit. got a blue Christmas tree
0: too. What a treat. <laughs> add to the list Christmas movies.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Max, what did you think of the ending?
2: Not, not too much to add. Um, again, yeah, I, I thought it was effective, and like, and like we've said, um, it does strengthen uh, James Mason's character. You know, again, that believability of. You know, him truly coming to care, you know, both for, you know, Joan Bennett's character, but also just the family as a whole. Um, and, you know, knowing you know, the mess that she's kind of in and, and the family is in, it holds up well. And it, I think, again, when you when you when you kind of remember that this, you know, this is made in 1949, um, it's impressive and. You know compared to your know, movies made nowadays you know this
0: is right up there in terms of story so
2: no it was a fun watch
0: all right well I think we're ready for for star ratings max what are you gonna give it
2: I I liked it I enjoyed it I'm gonna go 3.5 nice I I support that and rating
1: uh, I'm gonna go a little bit higher I like some of the non-conventional moves it made in plot and i thought joan bennett was just so good i'm gonna give it a 3.75 out of five
0: nice all right, and right i'm the highest on this one i i went with a four mm, nice solid film i enjoyed it i'd like yeah to thank great Max fools and the cast and the <laughs> great first time <laughs> pick you never know if these first time picks what's gonna That's happen true, and, true. Uh, that was a good one All right. And our our second movie that we're reviewing is a is a rewatch for me. This is Robert Wise's Odds Against Tomorrow. Now, have either one of you seen this one before? No, I no, I had not. Okay. All right. So Robert Wise, he directed a couple other noirs. He directed The Setup, which also starred Robert Ryan. And he directed Born to Kill. And he also directed a Western called Blood on the Moon, which is it, it is a Western, but it has a noir aesthetic. If you guys hadn't, haven't seen that, that's a pretty cool movie. It's got uh, Robert Mitchum. Have you guys seen that? No. No, no that is no. my list, though. My, my Robert Mitchum collection that, I, that yes. I signed up for. Yeah, which I anticipate you'll go through very slowly. <laughs> Unlike <laughs> your Deborah Carr list, you just blitz yeah. through. Time's Absolutely a ticking cool. you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it
1: was adapted. Robert Wise. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The only Robert Wise I've seen besides this film, is The Day the Earth Stood Still, which I was actually... I actually really enjoyed. I saw it at the Enzion, and uh, I, I, can't, I think I thought it was going to be something way campier than it was. It was actually really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Kind of a science fiction.
0: Yeah. That's a cool early sci-fi movie. I, I like Robert Wise. He, he got his start as an editor. He edited Citizen Kane, and then he directed some at least one or two val luton movies i can't remember which ones he directed but you know val luton he produced i walk with a zombie a, a zombie and cat people yeah so he did low budget movies for rko and then uh and then he got into bigger movies later on like he, he went on he did um the original west side story he did uh the sand pebbles with steve mcqueen that's a pretty cool movie Um, And he actually did Star Trek, the motion picture, the first Star Trek movie. So he he Uh he worked, you know, long time for decades. But yeah, uh, Odds Against Tomorrow, it was adapted from a novel by the of of the same name by William McGivern. Yeah, William McGivern. And um, Harry Belafonte wanted Abraham Polanski to write the script, but he was blacklisted at the time. But Polanski did actually write it. But another writer. Uh, who was a friend of Harry Belafonte. Uh, His name was uh, John Killens. It was credited at the time. And Polanski, his credit was restored, uh, but not until 1996. And um, he had previously written uh, a noir called Body and Soul, which which John uh, John Garfield is the star. Have either of you seen that? No. No. That's a good noir. And it's... um, it's one that you know Scorsese has talked about quite a bit as being an influence, um, especially on on Raging Bull. And uh, the score was done by a jazz pianist named John Lewis. And and I think the score is one of the greatest like strengths of the movie. What did you guys think of the score?
1: I love scores like this, kind mm-hmm. of a jazzy with some Belafonte influence too like these are my favorite kind of scores for these for this era like it just gets you really in the mood for this genre of film yeah i really i really appreciate it multiple times i was thinking about it as i was listening to it that it was i I, it was really really great uh a lot of fun i listened to this on its own i think Mm -hmm. yeah no i
2: i thought it was strong i mean again it kind of it it, it is effective and that you know it draws you kind of back in but but again it doesn't really tell you how to feel because the, the strongest moments of the of the score i don't know for me at least um weren't like pivotal moments they were just kind of um as the movies moving along and yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you had these great parts of the score come in that just yeah, were engaging and, and just i mean frankly just fun to listen to so
0: yeah and in the same year the, the um Odds Against Tomorrow came out in 1959, and in the same year, Duke Ellington composed the score for Otto Primminger's Anatomy of a Murder, mm. which I wouldn't categorize as a noir. I mean, it's a courtroom genre, but mm. I think both movies—well, one—they both have like jazz musicians that did the score, and they both like really pushed the envelope for the time. Like the—it's uh, kind of surprising that that the production code like uh, approved these movies. And you know, found them to be acceptable for a general audience. And both movies I think have really interesting title design. I mean Saul Bass did Anatomy of a Murder and he's obviously, mm-hmm. you know, well known for doing Hitchcock's title designs. But some just called uh, Storyboard created the titles for Odds Against Tomorrow. But I, I think that they're they're pretty unique, especially for a noir. I thought they, were they were pretty very stylish. cool. Yeah, yeah, I
1: watched them I was like, This is these are really interesting. Um yeah, really cool to watch. That was that like a lot of times with noirs they're very title card basic kind of you know run of the mill but they really got creative with this and i appreciated that it kind of mm-hmm. it kind of gave me a good feel for this might be a really good film even just based on the detail they're doing with the credits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when sometimes the credits are stylish and then that's the best part of the film <laughs>
0: yeah that's the bad movie a really yeah. bad movie if the credits are your best part. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was also the first big movie that was edited by D.D. Allen. She's a pretty influential editor. She edited The Hustler, Bonnie and Clyde, and Dog Day Afternoon, and, and some other uh, notable films as well. Um, and the film was shot by Joseph Brune, who – he doesn't have really other notable credits – and I will say, I do think the cinematography is maybe the one thing that's lacking in this movie. I wouldn't say it's bad, but it just doesn't have the atmosphere that noirs from the 40s had. Now, I think part of it could be due to being shot on location, which in the 40s was probably pretty uncommon. Mm-hmm. So, so having control over the lighting was probably way more difficult. And So it could be an unfair criticism, but I think aesthetically it just doesn't match... Like what something like Out of the Past has, which is which just looks amazing. The control, yeah. And I like one of my like my notes is
2: the film on location and, and really liking that um, because again like that authenticity that you, you just can't get unless you're filming, you know, at the actual location. So mm-hmm. uh, interesting to yeah to kind of hear that that was kind of a, a downside for you, but you know for me that was that added to the strength of the film.
1: I'm gonna lean towards max on this one. Uh, at least I thought there were like a lot of really interesting and cool individual shots or like the way a certain scene was shot, maybe not um, consistent throughout the whole film. but I'm also someone who on location shooting is i'm I'm much more uh, invested in on location shooting where sometimes where I, when I know it's in the studio and I can just like tell it takes, it takes me out of the film for some, some reason. Sometimes. Um, I think the only time I'm not really doing that is when Hitchcock films are in a car and I know they're, <laughs> I know they're not in the car, <laughs> but I still like the way he does it. Something interesting about his rear projection that, um, still keeps me, um, invested. But yeah, I, I, I love when a film can go on location as much as possible in this era and just give you something that you don't normally see from this time period. Um, one shot in particular, well, I don't know if I want to talk about a shot towards the end of the film, but I'll get, I'll mention it when we get to that point. It was, I thought it looked really, really cool and interesting.
0: Yeah. And I do, um, I, I like movies shot on location as well, but, um, but yeah, I, I did kind of miss like this dark, kind of high contrast lighting, yeah, you know, from from earlier noir films. But um, I wouldn't say it looks bad. But um, yeah, it just doesn't have the uh, kind of the shadows and the, like the, like the atmosphere from from earlier noirs that I, that I like. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, but uh, all right, well, let's get get going here. So. All right this this movie opens on a shot of uh of a gutter which is let's face it that's where these characters belong <laughs> <laughs> and setting the tone
1: then,
0: <laughs> and then we meet Earl Slater played by Robert Ryan and um and he's you know one of the great you know film noir stars and there there's some kids running down the street and Ryan picks one up and uh, oh I'm boy say here this we go word. Or should I not say this word? Is it? If, I, I I didn't know how to spell it to look it up. I'm assuming oh, it's offensive, right? It's, it's offensive, yeah. Yeah, we can pass, I think. <laughs> okay. So he uses a racial slur, you know, directed at a a child, um, and also tells her, you know, that she needs to stop, like, stop running around, or she's going to end up killing herself. <laughs> He does say
1: it in a friendly way, surprisingly, but still, it's a it's a kind of foreshadowing of this character's mindset, for sure. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so then Ryan, he goes into the apartment building, and he gets into the elevator, and there's a, a black man uh, operating the elevator. And the operator, he tries to make conversation with Ryan, and at, at first he's just, you know, really short with an answer. And then uh, the operator just asks – uh, about the weather. Uh, yeah, I think he says like how uh, he talks about how windy it is. And um, and at this point, Ryan just doesn't even respond. And and that is also I mean, right away, you know that, you know, Ryan's character is is, is the racist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes to to see uh, Dave Burke, who's played by Ed Bagley. And they get to know each other here. And what Burke knows about Ryan's past Um, I guess it's something like it's like more information than I guess Ryan was expecting him to know. He kind of is is angry about it.
1: He's uh, Robert Ryan is a great
0: curmudgeon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah,
1: more. I mean, more than a curmudgeon here, just a bad guy. But it is tends to be his M.O.,
0: yeah, yeah, and then uh, Burke tells Ryan about this um, bank heist that he thinks is an easy job where they could make fifty thousand dollars. And Ryan says, you know, that he's he's never robbed a bank before. And and Burke says that he doesn't, you know, want a big time gangster working with him. He wants someone who's like really in need of the money. And so Ryan doesn't commit to it. And then immediately following Ryan, Harry Belafonte's character Johnny Ingram arrives, and you see that he's a completely different personality than than uh ryan's is right away like he's really warm and friendly with with the kids who are outside and with the elevator operator
1: did you notice elevator operator whistling after belafonte when he gets off the elevator that was interesting he goes
0: yes i (laughs) did and i okay so i wasn't sure like was it because belafonte's character was like a well-dressed black character I think so, yeah. That yeah, was that's what a, I think his too. style, yeah. I think it was the style, yeah. Like the styles mentioned again
1: later about how much his shoes cost, like he's definitely mm-hmm. a stylish guy. So. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was why until we talked about it. I was really like confused by that in the moment, seeing him whistle like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very surprising for sure. This movie's pretty progressive, I gotta say. Very mm-hmm. much so. I yeah, love
1: how diverse 50s, it is. Yeah. I was like really pleasantly surprised to see the diversity in this film. That was really nice. It's very rare. Uh, yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. And then, um, and then, you know, Belafonte goes into Burke's apartment, and it's, you know, obvious that they already know each other, and in their re- interaction, again, is m- much more pleasant than it was with Robert Ryan. Um, and Burke knows that Belafonte owes this gangster named Bacco uh, Baco seven thousand or seventy five hundred dollars, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, Burke presents the bank job, you know, as a way for him to get the money, but Belafonte refuses and says that yeah, he'll go down the drain on his own. And then Burke has an interesting line. He says, You're counting your fingers and toes. I'm talking about five oh oh oh. oh. <laughs> I what does the counting your fingers and toes mean?
2: I guess like small potatoes, like trying yeah, to like so. you know scrap scrap by versus like hey here's a quick and easy way. Well, in quotes, quick and easy.
1: Yeah. I think he's also mentioned how he's floating by by um, paying a hundred bucks a week in interest or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. holding mm-hmm. off the uh, debt. Really yeah, still, it's Thanks. still a very interesting unconventional line for yeah. sure. There's a couple
0: <laughs> oh, oh, unconventional oh, 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 right. lines in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a few down. I'm curious to hear if, if the same ones got written down. <laughs> uh, I hope so. Alright, so Belafonte, he doesn't want any part of it, and uh, Burke tells him to let him know if he changes his mind. And then we meet uh, Ryan's girlfriend, played by Shelly Winters. And uh, I, I love Shelly Winters. I'm a, a huge fan of a place in the sun and mm-hmm. um, Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm. and she has kind of a small role in this movie, but it's it's a pretty good part. And we find out that Ryan is you, know, you know, like fin- financially supported by her, but she's happy to do it. But you can see that like it makes him feel like less of a man, you know oh, that yeah. he you know can't support himself, and he's considering at this point you know breaking lo- breaking the law just so he can feel better about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, Bert takes Ryan to check out the bank and goes over the details of how the heist will go. And it sounds simple enough, but Ryan has one problem, and then his problem being the third person involved, who he refers to using the N word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any notes or any uh, comments about what was happened so far?
1: Valafante has a great screen presence. I really, I just, he's, you know, he has, he's a flawed character, but he's a really good kind of um someone you you root for there's you know he has um he's super personable um you know he has his problems but you definitely you want him to be okay and then you have this other guy who pretty much has no redeeming qualities and they're both on the same job i like that that um that dynamic like it's interesting because you're rooting for one but not the other but they both need each other to be successful mm-hmm. and um, yeah um there's something cool about these the way that the these guys are picked for this job because they need the money as opposed to maybe them being the right or like the most capable for this job it's interesting too um i also i really enjoy always really enjoy a heist film the planning of it and kind of staking out what's going to happen and then how they go about executing the plan and who does what and all of that it's that's always a fun procedural i just really enjoy that um kind of film it's just it's a fun all, all stages of it you know there's usually some kind of conflict this time it's just someone just flat out racist but sometimes there will be like uh who gets what of the money conflict you know there's always something that even the best organized plan is going to throw a wrench into it whether it's they're particular personalities or an unforeseen accident, there's always something. It's mm-hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah. It's
1: fun. It's really fun to watch it unfold.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, again, similar to John, you know, and what we said before, you know, just this being 1959, and I think, again, you know, the motivations on the behalf of, of uh, Ryan's character, I mean, basically just being... Pretty plain and simple racism of you know yeah I'm desperate but not this desperate. Um, mm-hmm. I think is you know uh, I don't know I, I haven't watched a, I haven't watched an older movie uh, and, and a, quite a bit where it's been so plain out in the open. Um, and so I think for a movie to kind of address this and, and not really pull any punches uh, so to speak is is um, entertaining isn't the right word um but i uh, engaging i guess would, would be the best word there
1: yeah i like yeah, that it's I not sugar-coated it's... at all oh sorry like, it's, it's really no it's a, it's my bad uh the fact that it's not sugar it's like very blatantly out there i respect that they made that choice and mm. so sort of it's harder to do at the time and it's like something where they're going out on a limb but it's definitely conveying ryan as a bad guy right
0: yeah, and I, I like the way it's portrayed, too. And I, and I like that it's within a crime movie, because if you watch something like No Way Out, which I think is Sidney Poitier's first movie and the movie, it's, it's like the whole movie is about you know, racism and there's yeah. nothing else to it. I kind of like that this is like in, in a genre movie instead of in like just like a message movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then it cuts to Belafonte playing music at um, at a club and then uh, Baco and a couple of a uh, couple of his uh, gangster thug uh, pals <laughs> go into the club. And, and then one of the uh, thugs, uh, I think he says, like, too bad about Lady Claire. I couldn't really understand what he was saying. And then Harry says, yeah, they bobbed her nose. Yeah, we were wondering, uh, my friend yeah. and I,
1: what Bob Bob your nose means.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what that means either. Hmm. Max, was that one of your phrases? Lingo. <laughs> it was not. My, my
2: first one came a little bit later, but I do remember that. Um, well, It also comes into play um, pretty shortly after with Harry Bel- Belafonte's kind of improvised song. Um, doesn't he also say that after after he's kind of roughed up that you know they bopped his nose? Oh, I think he does say that later.
1: Yeah, 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 that's right.
2: So there's some yeah. I don't know what that what that I means. Think it, yeah,
1: I think it means you got punched in the nose and it makes your nose flatter. I think it's something like that. Like it, it's pushed in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that I think that's where they were going with that. But I had never heard that term before, and so I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm seeing here it's a slang term for a nose job.
2: Oh, okay. And so if it's yeah, I guess if it's a performer, or, you know, someone who's dependent on her looks, um, yeah, obviously then to, to mess with her looks would would affect that.
0: Yeah. Oh, so the character in uh ten or or whatever, she bobbed her nose too. Ooh, she bobbed self, her
1: nose. <laughs> the self bob that is not something I would recommend. No.
2: <laughs> no. And then turn into an old firefighter. <laughs>
1: yeah. If if her name was Bob, it would have been a Bob Bob. <laughs>
0: I apologize for that. Oh, no, I don't apologize. Not, yeah, not, not at this hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. um, so Harry finishes the song and he he walks past the table where the, the gangsters are sitting at. And then someone in the club gives him a gun. Mm hmm. And uh, and then, you know, I'm assuming that it's just someone who knows that he he owes these people. And um, Harry goes into his boss's office to see if he can get a uh, like an advance on his salary so they can pay off uh, Bako. And then Bako and his kind of henchmen, they come in and. When uh, Harry pulls a gun on them, it like sets Baco off, and he threatens, you know, his wife and child, and says that if he doesn't pay him tomorrow night, they're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts back to this really catchy tune. All men are evil. That's has <laughs> been in your head all day.
1: That was a fun one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice. Now nice
1: Belafonte,
0: uh, Belafonte, he does hijack this song, but <laughs> it doesn't stop it from being just a tremendous song.
1: There's something cathartic also about someone aggressively playing the vi- what is it the xylophone
0: some is that point, what that okay. is yeah. it is
1: a xylophone or vib? they call it vibes something like that yeah vibraphone or yeah vibraphone. yeah but he gets a lot of uh release out of just like at one point it's like smashing those those uh what do you call those i
0: don't I know. know i know the woman who was previously singing uh, says like that that man is in trouble and and yeah I couldn't agree more he looks like he's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All men are evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great song I, I really I really do like it.
2: I mean, yeah it'll be on the iTunes top twenty here in a couple days. Uh, yeah that's the dream. Sure.
1: Her annoyance at Belafonte chiming in was pretty priceless too that was that was a great scene.
0: But yeah, also I'm the yeah the up. oh yeah oh, go ahead sorry oh, the, the so interruption you know, things so uh, oh, we're
2: we're just excited about Harry Belafonte interrupting music and so we're just interrupting each other and it's,
1: yeah it's, it's a so, vibe it's, it's a yeah, vibe for
2: sure no I the, the the bar staff just also just fully uh, eating it up and just you know laughing and and cracking up at Harry Belafonte was uh, I think also interesting. no one was like annoyed i think other than like maybe the owner um but everyone
0: else was just having a blast watching him just ruin this song (laughs) yeah yeah the singer um i looked her up i can't remember her name but this was her only uh movie appearance which is a shame
1: that is a shame unless it was Um, by her own choice
0: mm, yeah hopefully that's how it was Mm -hmm. Mm yeah she's good yeah after this uh Dave Burke. He ends up dropping off Ryan's character, who's still unsure about the job because he says again that he doesn't want to work with a colored person. And then Harry, And then we meet in the next scene. We meet Harry Belafonte's family. He has a daughter. Now she's referred to at one point as being his wife. I wasn't sure if they were if it was his ex-wife though. Was that made clear in the movie? Yeah,
1: he says mm. something about alimony. Oh no, he has
0: alimony. That's right. Yeah, so, that's. Yep. Oh boy, I'm mean, gonna sound like a she, real idiot. She's
1: worse than the guy he owes money to about about the money. Like more persistent in asking for the money on the f- first than the guy he he owes seventy five hundred to. If that makes yeah. sense.
2: But he but he's still interested though in, in getting back with her and like making it and making it work, isn't he? Are he like voices yeah,
0: that? Yeah, there's definitely feelings there still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because you know in this scene he does kiss her and then he says what did i ever see in you and then his daughter comes into this into the scene and his (laughs) ex says that that was Mm. a weird that was a weird line now is she is she implying that like she became pregnant uh during a one night stand oh see
1: that makes (laughs) sense now I, i don't know but that context works
0: yeah that's interesting huh that's what i thought it was like a really subtle way to mm, yeah. apply that because obviously you, you in 1959 as kind of like, I mean, this movie does push the envelope, but I don't think that they would like say that in a straightforward way. No. Uh-uh. But that's sort of how I took it. But I, I don't know if it's really correct or not. If it isn't, you just made it better. <laughs> so oh, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I really, when I heard it, I didn't quite get it, but yeah, yeah, it makes, it definitely makes sense that that could be the, and it definitely wouldn't be straightforward That's interesting.
0: But Harry is out with his daughter, and then he spots a couple of gangsters that Mm -hmm. are watching them. And Harry, you know, he confronts the gangsters and says that he'll tell the cop. And, and of course they, they say like, they say, no, no, you won't. But then he, he does actually go tell the cops and they, and they leave. And then at, at this point Harry does call Dave and he says that he'll take the deal, but he asked for seventy five hundred um to pay off, you know, Baco you know, right away. But then uh, Burke calls Baco and he does tell him to, you know, to call off the gangsters. Um, but Baco tells Burke that, you know, things are different now because Belafonte pulled a gun on him. And uh, and Burke says that you know that it can be, it can be straightened out. And so in the next scene, you find out that or, you know, Robert Ryan characters uh, finds out that Winters, Shelley Winters has told their neighbor, Helen, who's played by Gloria Graham, that he would babysit. Now, what's I going he,
1: on in here, an orgy? <laughs> that,
0: that is the line I had down. So <laughs> that's that's a pretty interesting question. Yeah. I, I do like that. There's one shirtless man. Uh, and I don't think he's shirtless. Maybe is his shirt just unbuttoned? I think just on the button. That yep. line is incredible. That needs to be uh, a drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really does need to be. Um, but yeah, Gloria Graham, uh, she's kind of a noir legend. She's in, in A Lonely Place, The the Big Heat and Crossfire. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, three big ones. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm definitely uh, a, a fan of hers. She has a pretty unusual real life story she was um she was married to nicholas ray do, do y'all know this story i knew she was married to him but yeah not not the story yeah tell, so she was married us. to him and then she ended up leaving him for his A young, son yeah yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. at the time i i I, can't, I don't know if they got together when he was like under 18 but they were together when she was like quite a bit older and he was a very young person at the time it's kind of strange but um but no i do i do i do like her quite a bit oh is she in it's a wonderful life yeah she is what a legend
2: yeah she's she's pining for the affections of jimmy stewart but donna reed can't compete
0: with her no absolutely what a gal and, of course, Robert Ryan, he treats Gloria Graham you know, pretty he's, – he's not – he's pretty unkind to her. All right, so the next scene that is kind of of interest is where Ryan loses his temper at a bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, uh, uh, yes. He's, he's there, and there's this young kind of military guy who is sort of wrestling with a, a, a friend of his, and he's kind of showing off for a, a girl who's at the bar. The girl asks if, if uh, he can teach her how to do it. He uh, and, and he says, sure. And there's a scene where she is uh, is holding him and he's pretending to be like a woman in peril. And I can't remember, I don't have the line written down, but he says something like, oh, you please don't rape me. Is that the line? Ooh, I have to look it up.
2: That's yeah, that's the turning point of the scene. Which I, I will say Robert Ryan does have a little bit of justification of being annoyed because the friend gets, like, thrown into him. Yes. And like, spills his beer all over, like, his arm and his, his coat, whatever he's gotten, you know, are the dry cleaning he's picked up. Like, that's, you know, that's pretty frustrating. But, yeah, then with the, uh, the female friend, that's where things kind of turn.
0: But I don't know the line. Yeah, I think he like the guy, he says something like, you know, please don't rape me or something like that. It's a it's a really weird line. And then Ryan says, you know, he tells the girl like not to throw the guy in his direction. Yeah. And then that's kind of what gets the the fight started. And I think the young guy, he refers to him as as an old vet. And then and then that's when Ryan punches him in the stomach and knocks the wind out of him. And Ryan is kind of he's oddly remorseful here. I guess maybe he just gets upset with himself you know, for when he, whenever he does lose his temper.
1: I think um, this scene is interesting be, also because um, it shows some of that post-traumatic stress of after a war, like how you return to normal life, but it's not normal for you, and how hard it is for you to readjust to just being back in society after war. Mm-hmm get a lot of that from this scene um and resenting the other younger military guy who's in the military not during a war and uh just there's not the same consequences for that for that person maybe it's a little bit of envy at the situation um or resentment and he really gets egged on to like the the kid tells him to punch him he's like you know give go ahead give me one you know like I can take it or whatever. He, he really gets egged on. He doesn't just react and punch the kid. He kind of... The,
0: the kid asks for it. But yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: It's probably the most likable or the most you'll feel for Robert Ryan in this movie. Like The most sympathetic for his character, I think, this scene.
0: Yeah, and he's, he's somewhat sympathetic, I think, when he goes back to winters I think after this scene and and he talks about you know, she she tries to talk him out of getting involved with this heist and Ryan tells him that you know like this is kind of his last chance to make something of himself yeah and he's pretty emotional in that scene too yeah that's true I agree mm-hmm yeah, you know,
1: oh you know, and you know what even the worst guys aren't all bad. Like there's usually a little bit of I mean, except for maybe like that guy in Tales from the Crypt who uh to buy that guy's house.
2: Oh the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Pure evil.
0: Pure evil. <laughs> 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 all right. yeah, and Max, did you have any uh, notes? No, I, I did I was
2: I, I had the script and I was trying to find the line and, and the friend is the one who says the line. Don't try to rape me or something. Um, but anyway, yeah, that 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 aside, that whole scene I think, like we're saying, is is pretty interesting in terms of fleshing out um, Robert Ryan's character and you know, again, adding some complexity um, to this pretty you know awful
0: guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, this this was this was a good uh, uh, part of the film. And then we catch back up with uh, Harry Belafonte, and he's with his daughter, who's sleeping, and his ex is there, and they kiss again. And and she you know, tells him that they shouldn't do that. Uh, he says that he was dreaming, and then he says a man al- always dreams about what he wants or what he's afraid of. Um,
1: that was a good line. I like that line. That's a that's a good noir, uh, make you think mm. kind of line. Yeah, yeah, I like that line too. And what I liked about
2: this movie, and, 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 you know, we can circle back to this, is like these three are all, you know, losers, you know, Mm -hmm. in in the definition of the word. Um, But these scenes, uh, you know, again, do add depth to um, their characters. And, you know, you're sympathetic, but they're doing nothing of legitimacy to improve their lives. Yeah. Um, You know, and uh, I I don't know. I think that is interesting to kind of explore that, you know, in in more detail, which, you know, only these scenes can can really do.
1: Yeah, it's cool to see more why why these guys are committing this crime as opposed to just uh, sometimes you just see the crime in operation and not not the reasons behind it. It's nice to have that background going into it. So that when it does happen, you kind of you know exactly where these guys are at and, you know, what they're doing this for, what they have to lose, what compels them, why they're taking this risk. Which may not, you know, they may not really have to You think about maybe they're being irrational, but um, at least you have more of a idea of their motivations and what's what's driven them to this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely they do a great job of fleshing out. Characters Like, these aren't just, um, like, stereotypical kind of archetypes. Like, they're really, like, well-rounded characters. I, I think it's, I, like, I think the script, especially the writing of the characters, is, is, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then uh, a little bit after this, uh, Gloria Graham's character comes back downstairs, asks for Winters, but of course Robert Ryan is there. And uh, and he like when he opens the door, you know, she's not exactly you're thrilled to see him, but he says he's ready to kiss and make up. And he says that he's sorry. And she goes in and, and they have a drink together and his toast is uh, to a more affectionate future, <laughs> 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 which I think is kind of funny, um, especially considering what their uh, hi- their short history is together. And then she wants to go back upstairs so that she can hear the baby, and he you know, tells her that you know they hear the baby uh, you know, down there, and that it you know keeps him up at night. And uh, and she says that you know she's she's upset that you know she didn't get a sitter because her husband took a friend um to this. I th- was it a sporting event? I can't remember exactly what it was. I thought it was like a a mus- uh, uh, show. Yeah. Well, they go to some kind of event and. Um, and then uh, Gloria uh, wants to ask Ryan a question, but uh, she she wants him to promise that he won't be angry. And she asks him how he felt uh, when he killed a man, and and he's you know upset by the question. But then he says, "Do you want me to make your flesh creep?" <laughs> Which is a pretty good line. And then solid pickup line. And wow. He says. He says it scared him, but he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And he says that he killed him because he was insulted by him and and he he said that that he dared him to kill him and now that and now she she's daring him. And he opens up her coat and this this is a pretty like racy scene for the time as well. I was
1: and, shocked by
0: this. Yes, absolutely. And she and she says, you know, just this once and they kiss. Um, I mean, there's been movies you know, before this where you see like a woman in, in, in a, a bra. But this is still like a pretty racy scene for the time.
2: Yeah. 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 A definitely. Yeah. But a surprise. But there's no emotion. There's no, you know, again, there's no this isn't like a pent up thing that's been going on for the movie up until this point. You know, it's just kind of like robert ryan is this uh, bum you know it's like uh, it's just weird it's a very odd scene there's no romance there
0: no it's, it's just kind cool, of convenient yeah. her mm-hmm. husband is gone and Shelley winters is 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 out so right it's like a distraction for them both oh yeah yeah all right and then um a little bit later on the uh, kind of the trio who's attempting to pull off the heist they're there together for the first time. Uh, Ryan is yeah, he he's speaking to Harry Belafonte in a pretty condescending manner and and Harry, it seems to be you know he's able to take it. Uh, but I do like that Burke tells Ryan not to knock off that civil war talk, yeah, yeah, that that's civil good. war jazz.
2: Civil War jazz. Is that what it was? I think. so I think that's the line. Like, knock off that civil war jazz. Which is a fun little that could, that could get brought back into everyday talk.
1: it's yeah. <laughs> a lesser known musical genre.
2: Yeah, don't work <laughs> fiercely. Don't beat out that civil war jazz here, Slater.
0: I like that. That is good. Do you have the script, or, or is this just like on IMDb? I pulled up the script, so I, I
2: I've, it's it, it's fascinating to have in the background.
0: All right. And then later, there's a the montage of kind of the three characters going to the city of Melton, which is where they're pulling off the, the heist. Uh, you see Harry take the bus. Dave drives and Ryan drives uh, separately. And Dave goes hunting. And then uh, Ryan picks him up from there. And and. Um, and the car that Dave used, that's the, I guess it's going to be their like getaway car. Once they get to that point, they're going to kind of just trash the other car, I guess, or mm-hmm. just you know leave it somewhere. Everything seems to be going well. Ryan is still nervous about Belafonte. Dave, he mentions that Johnny fought in the same war. And Ryan says, sure, with a white master holding his hand, mm-hmm. which is just... I mean, he's such a dis- despicable character, but this is a... Especially a, like a horrible thing to say. And I will say, I, I do think Robert Ryan is really good, but his Oklahoma accent is maybe a, a bit off, or it just sounds funny coming from him. Did, did, did you it's, guys think that?
1: It's not consistent either. I, feel no, I, like I it noticed it, out.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I noticed it a couple times, and I'm like, has that been going on the whole film? I don't
0: think it has. Right. And it could be a thing of casting someone. I mean, Robert Ryan, like he's in, you know, some Westerns, but like he's clearly not from the South. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was even just a mistake to, to have him try to pull off an accent. But yeah, it definitely you know comes and goes. Mm-hmm. But I do think overall it's still a pretty good performance.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Born in Chicago.
0: No, oh, that makes sense. I like, too, the, uh, you know, when he, when the, I like this whole
2: scene of them kind of like preparing the three of them, uh, this, this little bit of a montage um, of how they're going to get to where they need to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like I mean, again, it makes you think you know, when you're doing something wrong, even mundane interactions, you know, put you on edge. And so, you know, the kid at the uh, gas station who, you know, is just he's just admiring the engine of um, Robert Ryan's car. And, it's, you know, something about how, like, oh, can, you know, can you do 150 on the highway or something like that? And, um, again, like, Robert Ryan's character just, you know, totally overreacts and, and slams on the hood and, you know, just, I said just gas. Um, but, again, you find out later that the reason he's so upset is because, again, that nervousness of, you know, well, shoot, did this kid, you know, did, did this, like, raise suspicion of having this, like, nice engine in this kind of rundown car. You know, I I, I don't know. The little thing, like, there just are interesting parts of this movie.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. And I don't think, I mean, obviously the kid is working at a gas station, which is probably at the time they um, were also mechanics, I, I would think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that, sh- that gas station may have also been, like, an auto shop yeah noticing that it's an engine that doesn't go with that car i guess you know would maybe naturally well i don't know if it would naturally raise suspicions maybe it, it would. would just be memorable yeah
1: yeah, yeah it would talk about out it later for sure. at, at the bar or wherever they are he talks about oh, that's it later. true that is, yeah it yeah. is a good yeah
2: um, but yeah anyway i mean just little little details that um kind of go by quickly if you're not like kind of paying attention
1: this happened in the previous movie, too, where Joan Bennett's kind of going around town and she sees people she knows. And they're just like trying to make friendly conversation. And she's like, doesn't want to engage because she's so stressed. And then mm-hmm. she has, sometimes she has um, Donna Lee in the car with her. But, yeah, it's just like these genuine people who are just friendly. It's like the worst timing for people who are under this kind of high intensity stress. And they're just like their mind somewhere else. And they just can't deal with these you know, conversational small talk situations. They just want to like get in, get out, not, not give any, um, indication of who they are or what they're like, or just anything remember memorable that Mm -hmm. could come back to haunt them later. If police go to that gas station or somewhere else and ask about did anything,
0: was anything strange that day, you know? Right. Yeah. And then, um, and then a little bit after this, uh, Harry, he gets off the, the bus and there's a car accident right away and a cop stops him since Harry was, you know, a, a witness. But Harry plays it off like he only heard the accident and then he turned around and then that's when he saw that there had been one. And, of course, the uh, yeah, Burke and Ryan are nervous because they, you know, because obviously it's he, he's talking with the police. But the crew reconvenes and and they go over. You know Harry, you know, and the uh, encounter with the cop, and and they feel like they should you know, proceed with, with with the heist, and then they decide to stay apart, uh, you know, for, I guess what seems like a number of hours, like until the like the sun goes down. Yeah, mm-hmm. until six o'clock. And when the bank closes. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, bank. and Ryan tells Harry that he says the next time, he says the next time Harry well, he doesn't say the next time Harry calls him, but he says, the next time you call me, oh, no, the next time he calls me, I think he's talking to Burke, he says the next time he calls me, he'll see him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a poker a reference. Yeah, I think it's a poker oh, reference, call, Oh, okay. Yeah, call, that yeah. one I understood. Okay. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, I did not understand that, but now I do.
1: There's a cool scene here, one of the, my favorite ones, uh, when they're kind of waiting around. One of the guys is like, elevated at, at a like a like an overlook and they kind of slowly zoom in from the ground up towards him uh i just really i liked how that scene looked like just like that shot
0: yeah yeah there's think, two cool shots robert I, I mean shot. robert wise is definitely he was a pretty cool director yeah mm-hmm. interesting um
1: there's one shot at the climax that is my favorite by far but i'll save that still
0: yeah. And then also in this scene, Ryan, I, I actually kind of went over, went past this, but Ryan says that um, Harry is just another black spot on Main Street. And then Harry says, you know, some some um, some day he's going to snap off Ryan's poisoned head. And <laughs> yeah. I do like Belafonte. I think his last time his last line in this scene. Oh, yeah. It's, this is after Ryan says the next time he calls him, he'll see him. And uh Belafonte says um, he'll be waiting and he tells Ryan that he's not just another white spot to him. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good line, too. Yeah. yeah. That,
1: throwing his own terminology back in his face. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not afraid to yeah,
0: throw
2: down with him and, and, and meet him. Uh, yeah, just not back down. I think is, is a, a nice dynamic.
0: All right, and then they go their separate ways and we see them waiting. And, and Ryan, he... I don't think this was nervousness, but he do, he does he's like loading his shotgun and he puts you know some more shells in his pockets, and the others seem to just be kind of you know more patiently waiting, and then Ryan does sees a rabbit and 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 he takes a shot at it, um, and then six o'clock finally rolls around and Ryan is in the car, and he's held up by the train. Um, and then it, it, actually, at this moment, there's a shot in a drugstore where you see the kid, you know, talking about the car with the new motor and does Ryan, does he drive by the, uh, the drugstore? Is that why it's brought up? I no, I think
1: that's yeah, yeah, like yeah.
0: talking about his
1: day and like how, mm-hmm. how interesting the engine was. I think that, well, I don't think there's anything more than that. It wasn't like he was reminded by Ryan or anything driving. Gotcha, okay.
0: Yeah, I didn't think so, but I just wanted to make sure. All right, and then Ryan, he picks up Harry Belafonte, and um, and then Harry, he's supposed to go into the bank with a box that has uh, coffee and food for the staff. And at this point, this is where they they execute the uh, the heist, which is going according to plan until the waiter who was originally supposed to deliver the food he actually does come to the bank and this is kind of the where the, the where the heist goes wrong i don't know is there anything like the heist isn't like like an all-time great heist i mean it's a decent scene but it's not like you know Rafifi or some it, it, it's not it's right. not it's not like a stunning kind of set piece the way like Rafifi's is
1: the um the way that the Belafonte, because with the idea to have the bigger box to get them to release the chain on the door. That was a cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I liked that too. But yeah. there isn't really a lot more
1: to the dynamics of the heist at that point getting in. It was pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, the actual waiter coming up to kind of foil the heist. It's something that is somewhat. It shouldn't be unexpected. They should have planned for him. He's going to come back at some point. Maybe they thought it would take longer. I'm not sure.
0: It's yeah, like a
1: totally random occurrence that throws things off. It's something that you may not think of as you're watching it, but it's something they should have thought of.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of felt that way too. Like they they shouldn't just assume because the, that he's not going to end up coming back. So there's a moment. Where Robert Ryan's character is supposed to give the key to Harry Harry Belafonte, and he won't do it, and so Dave Burke's character has the key, right? That isn't that how it goes? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Dave Burke is the his character is the first to walk out of the bank with the money, and there are cops outside, and they think it's suspicious when they see someone walking away the bank from the bank with a with a, a, a like a large. It's not like a suitcase but i guess it's like kind of like a carry-on luggage sized bag mm-hmm.
1: okay so here's something that was random someone stops the cop to ask for raffle tickets and yeah. the cop wound up seeing like, like hey
2: the, wait a minute yeah mm-hmm.
1: there always seems to be something like unexpected that kind of follows the plan which i enjoy like there's like that, there's something you could never see coming just a right. little, little random moment right place right time
0: Wrong place, wrong time. Right. That ruins a well-executed plan. Otherwise. Yeah, that is a cool little detail, and, and like things like that. I wonder how much of this is like in the in the book, because it mm. feels more like a detail that would be in a novel, anyways. Yeah. But no, I, I do I do appreciate stuff like that. Um, but yeah, and so Dave Burke, so he leaves, and then the cops they kind of get his attention. And Burke is walking towards them. Now I can't remember how it's how they start shooting. Now does does Ryan and Belafonte, do they come out before they start shooting or or they come out afterwards?
1: I think they come out and that's when the shooting starts.
0: Okay,
2: mm-hmm. pretty sure. Max,
1: yeah, you be- agree.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm like, just looking at my notes here. Like just that whole sequence. Yeah, because Burke leaves and he's got
1: the bag and that's when the police officer that's just kind of you know lingering sees him. he comes back towards the police and he's like you know like kind of smiling at them awkwardly oh the bank alarm yeah the bank alarm goes oh, the up. alarm goes off yeah. that's right and they yell
2: stick up yeah and so the, when the alarm goes off the policeman fires at
0: burke um which is then what starts kind of the the standoff all right and then since robert ryan didn't you know, trust Harry Belafonte earlier, Belafonte doesn't have the keys, and Dave does, but he's been shot. Mm -hmm. And the keys are, they're on the ground, right? Are they on the sidewalk?
1: Well, Robert Ryan kind of, like, after Dave's been shot, he's like, Robert Ryan's like, throw us the keys, and uh, Dave's in pretty bad shape at that point, and tries to, and they kind Mm. of, like, gets shot again, I think, and the keys kind of just, like, Fall out of his hand as he's trying to throw them over to the to the guys. Yeah, and mid so battle. oh, what's that? Mid mid gun battle.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they're they're pretty ruthless with with kind of gunning him down. Which I mean, I guess rightfully so. But yeah, every every time I feel like he tries like like two or three times to to make a move to to toss the keys, but before he can, yeah, they 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 unload into him.
1: It's rough. He's a pretty sweet character it's tough to see him go down like that
0: mm-hmm. yeah you
1: know for for a criminal he's very likable
0: <laughs> yeah he's a pretty likable criminal and so uh ryan and and harry belafonte they end up you know leaving the scene and then they it, it leads to a shootout between the two of them i couldn't figure out exactly what this facility was that they have the shootout at but there gas. Is, yeah is it gas, gas? Tank, is that what the, gas, those like, a gas tank complex yeah okay yeah i i mean obviously i knew it was something flammable <laughs> but <laughs> but just uh specifically i i just i i just couldn't figure out what it was mm-hmm. that, but, that end
1: sign like i saw that sign uh they show it again at the very end but they show it a little bit before the very end and like i was like this sign's coming back into it's gonna be
0: meaningful. This dead end sign, or <laughs> whatever it's yeah.
1: stop dead end.
0: But um, but the uh the silos they they do end up exploding during the shootout. And um. That was
1: wild. They're, my favorite shot of the movie is here, where um, you know Ryan and Belafonte are going at it, and there's a shot of of Belafonte. I think he's climbing some stairs, and he's kind of walking towards the camera it just shows all of his rage and um like how much he despises ryan and ryan's view it's it mm-hmm. looks really cool he almost looks mm-hmm. like uh he's just it's just like completely enraged which you don't really see that from belafonte in the film too much he's pretty cool under pressure mm-hmm. um, i don't know just it's, it's really just makes him a little bit larger than life it just he looks so angry and like menacing uh, I, I really liked how that was shot. That had a very noir feel to it. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of those shots necessarily,
0: like Hunter said, in this film, but that felt like one of them. Yeah, yeah. And I do like like Harry Belafonte. Um, he did act in in quite a few movies. Kind of the only other, i, I say, like you know, black actor from the era who was kind of more of a star was um, Sidney Poitier. And they couldn't be more different. Like Belafonte, I mean like in this movie, he plays a really strong character. And Poiti, he he really didn't at all in the fifties. And maybe they just weren't writing characters like that. But he was he had starring roles, but he was always kind of he played like kind of more sensitive characters and he was usually a, a victim, but he wouldn't he kind of refused to fight back. And it was a right. kind of a criticism of him at the time where kind of black audiences kind of wanted to see him play a stronger role. And I, I don't, I don't think he really did until in the heat of the night mm-hmm. and like black audiences like really embraced him way more at that point. But I'm surprised. I, I, I don't think of Harry Belafonte as being a movie star. I think of him as being a musician first, but I really like him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was
2: a definitely one of the, highlights for me
1: yeah i had no idea he was so prolific in his you know he's in like i think over 60 films mm-hmm. right but yeah i was very impressed i thought he did it i thought he was very memorable in this film and uh looks very comfortable as an actor he doesn't, doesn't feel like a musician being an actor It just feels like an actor being an actor
0: in a way right yeah like i think he feels just as much if not more of of, of an actor than someone like frank sinatra Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and this and this was his.
2: I thought this was interesting too because this, this was the first movie that his production uh, company made. Oh, I I did not know that Har, Har Harbell Hairbell Productions. Oh, okay, um, which he formed, and I think Odds Against Tomorrow um, was the first movie that, that that his company made. So that's you know interesting too. I mean for. Something you produced also, you know, perform you know well in it and, and be you know be a strong component um,
0: is impressive. All right. Um yeah, and then in the end, you know the, the police find the 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 you know the, the bodies and a medic says which is which and they just say you take your pick because at this point you know they're beyond recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of this ending?
1: I like this because there's so much of a dynamic between them about color. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And their downfall, they're exactly the same.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This thing that, well, I mean, more so Robert Ryan's character, but yeah, that, that consumed him. And um, arguably, I mean, Harry Belafonte's character going back to with his ex-wife, you know, he kind of rags on her um, for, you know, oh, you just want to hang out with your white friends. Um, there's that whole scene. And, and she just you know her her reasoning is like i i, I want a a, you know, a nice life for our daughter um and so it's something that he's aware of too but you know again I, I don't think that there's the hatred and just the vileness um that there is in robert ryan's character um you know but again it, it is a factor and the at, at the end of the day you know this all this plays out and then it ultimately doesn't matter they've they've lost you know both of their identities and it's just uh, you know like i said take your pick you know, who do you want this person to be? All right. It's that it's that guy. All right. Great. See mm-hmm. ya. Yeah. Um,
0: no, it's 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 a pretty powerful fin- um, finale. All right. Well, do you guys have anything else to uh, say about odds against tomorrow before we give uh, star ratings? No. Nope. Cool. Uh, Max, you want to go first? You know, I before
2: the conversation, I was at a four. I'm going to bump it up to a four point five, though. All right. I love that. Yeah. Post <laughs> post conversation and, and post kind of breaking it down. Um, it's a it's a fun one. So yeah, four point five for me.
1: John? Solid four for me, really enjoyed it. It was like a three point seven five until that ending, which surprised me. The explosion surprised me and like that that scene we just talked about with the you know, take your pick. So mm-hmm. solid four, really enjoyed it. Something where I could see it even going up on a rewatch.
0: Yeah, this is a solid 4.5 for me. I I love this movie. It's uh, I think maybe we talked about this n- not um in an episode, but I think I came to it because it it's one of Jean-Pierre Melville's favorite crime movies. And um and y'all y'all are familiar with Jean-Pierre Melville, right? He's probably my top ten
1: directors' favorites. I love him. In fact, one of my films for next week is a Jean-Pierre Melville film.
0: Yeah, he's a pretty amazing uh, director. And so, um, you know, when I found out, you know, it was one of his favorite films, I wanted to seek it out. But yeah, this is, I would put this up there as being uh, like one of my favorite noirs. I I think it's uh, an awesome movie. All right, so up next is a preview of next week's episode. Uh, John, what are your picks?
1: So, uh the aforementioned Jean-Pierre Melville. Um, my rewatch is going to be a film from 1962 called Les Doulos, um, starring Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Belmondo. Um, it's an all time favorite of mine and there's, I'm sure you'll be able to pick it out. There's one specific little scene in, in this movie that is just like super cool. There's a move someone does. I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, Look out for it. He'll be like, it's, "Whoa, how did they do that?"
0: <laughs> it's a moonwalk, right? Like Michael Jackson's moonwalk. It
1: is basically. They didn't call it a moonwalk then. They called it uh, La Lune walk since it's a French film.
0: So. Oh, true. <laughs> but mm. yeah,
1: highly influential. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, it's it's definitely in my top. 150 which is now like 167 because it's hard for me to take films off that list once i add to them but
0: Mm -hmm. i cannot rank that far down i barely know my top 10 i I don't even know (laughs) if i can really do my top
1: they are in order it's just like a
0: big bucket okay 50 it's
1: very I, i don't know how people do like what differentiates your 31st film of all time versus your 64th i
0: don't know how that works that's why I agree that you have to I mean other people have talked about this and making a list as dumb as the top 100 but um, <laughs> you you are like designing it like to the point where there are certain things that like you can't rank them in order you just have to be like well if I have you know a Francis Ford Coppola movie at Forty-five. Like I probably won't have another one of his movies again until at least you know thirty-two because I don't want them in, too many in the same area. Or yeah, you know, there's yeah right. weird mm-hmm. ways of ranking things. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, and then um, my first watch is a film from 1958 directed by Mario Monticelli called Big Deal on Madonna Street. Um, it supposedly I have not I don't really know too much about it uh encompasses a bunch of genres including uh film noir and a bit of that french new wave influence vibe as well even though it's a italian film but it should be interesting i have you seen any of you you've
0: seen this film no. i've never mm-hmm. seen that one i've seen is it lay doulos is that how you say it yeah 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 i've seen that a couple times that is uh you know, Quentin Tarantino says that he thinks that's the greatest screenplay ever written. Hmm.
1: Get ready. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: It is, it is a favorite of mine. I, I'm really excited to watch it again. I've been wanting to watch it for a
0: while. Watch it again that's, for a while. Speaking of like top lists, one that was like I would say in my top 20 for years was Les Samurai. Mm. That is a Yeah, that's a and, fun one. I do not know what happened. I, I think I I watched it somewhat recently with the expectation that, or like trying to, watching it thinking, it, like, is this still going to be in my top 20? And and going into it, yeah, you know, wondering where it would place still kind I'm of about ruined this. the movie for me. Oh, okay. Mm. And I actually rated it a four out of five. Which still shocks me to this day. I um, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to rewatch it, just kind of, and just rewatch it, and just enjoy it, and not think about where it is on a list, but just kind of ap- appreciate it. Because I mean, it, it, I, I, I used to just love, love that movie. I love the way that movie is shot and the way it looks. And Alain Delon is just, he might be the coolest actor of all time like i would rate him above is it as far as just being cool like he's cooler than steve mcqueen to me mm. yeah he's got a, he's got quite the presence oh he's very cool that.
1: yeah well, right. and John, cool too, but more in like more in like a uh bit of a hammy jokey way you know? yeah he's, you know, he's, he's more willing to be silly than the other guys are more like you know Cold or cool, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that's... uh I think you introduced that film to me and uh, Les Circle Rouge as well, Hunter.
0: Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Les Circle Rouge is awesome, too. It's so
1: good, both of those. Love them.
0: Is, I, I, um, think, I think
1: I have the same issue where if I'm thinking about what a film is going to be ranked or rated while I'm watching it, it takes me out of it for some reason. Or like, it just... It can be a distraction. I don't have the issue where... Um, i try to predict plots or anything like that i know it's something that people deal with or like they think about how a shot is done I don't really have that issue but definitely like oh right now it feels like a 3.5 and then oh this happened now it's a four like that's definitely something i wish i could just take out of Mm. my brain while i'm Mm -hmm. watching the movie
0: i don't know yeah it's tough i um the same thing that happened to me with like samurai happened with notorious where i watched it thinking Okay, I'm pretty sure this is my second favorite Hitchcock movie. And then when I was watching it, all I could see were, were its flaws. It was <laughs> such a strange. Like, I, I regretted, I almost turned it off because I was like, clearly, there's something wrong with me because I, I don't, I don't, I love this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This but, sounds but like was my, my dating you. life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it's cool that you picked two uh, yeah, foreign language films. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah get our get our reading and our film watching done at the same time
0: all right and max this is the moment we've all been waiting for what's the stand pick of the week I, you know i I loved
2: Robert Ryan's performance here and so we're gonna go stick with that trend and we're gonna go clash by night um, 1952 directed by Fritz Lang starring Barbara Stanwick and Robert Ryan as well as a Marilyn Monroe appearance and uh, not streaming anywhere uh, unfortunately, but you know well worth the two dollars uh, to watch for uh that stand pick of the week
0: mm, I'll be the judge of that <laughs> <laughs> no we all we all love barbara Stanwick um some less than others i uh I'm probably the one that loves her less. <laughs>
1: Hey, any money you spend on a rental fee may go towards her family's you know
0: estate or estate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> I unfortunately I'm just not interested in contributing to that. Yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. she'll yeah. she'll survive. Well. Wow. Yeah. I don't just, dis- and and of course I don't dislike Stanwick. I just uh you know, I just marvel at uh your genuine affection for her. Yeah, um,
2: you know, that's another episode. That's a that's a that's a whole it's a series. Thirty minutes there, you
0: know? Yeah.
1: Stanley like September.
2: <laughs> oh next year.
1: A September to remember. Oh, she does have a night to remember.
0: Or a September to dismember and we do a double horror, <laughs> September and October. Ooh. I, I could easily be talked into that. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry, remember. She took it away night. so
1: fast oh right. hey there's always that one stanwick horror film where she's stuck in bed
2: sorry wrong number <laughs> yeah. our worst our worst fears
0: no i'm sorry it's not a horror film now she isn't made for television um horror movies oh she does like is it like later on yeah later on in her career max i don't know i don't know if i want you to see her that way Um, it's entirely (laughs) up to you. Oh, yeah. Um.
1: Have you seen her that way, Max?
0: I. Prime. Like in the 1970s? I don't think so. Mm. Uh, But she's got
2: a. She has a William Castle film she's in. The Nightwalker. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Everyone.
2: You you both have marked it on your watch list. So.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah, now I've seen a, uh, at least one of her made for TV horror movies from the 70s. I, I do, I do like made for TV movies, yeah, especially from the 70s. But uh,
1: is she a shallow
0: performer? Self <laughs> <laughs> TBD, know. you know. Is he bailing? Yeah, in? I'll I'll let I'll I'll let Max decide. Maybe yeah. I'll pick one. Uh, maybe we'll. Oh, you know, I would be. Very much on board with, even if it's just my selections, doing um, a made-for-TV movie episode. Mm. I'm down for that. Mm. Yeah, that could be, that could be fun. Yeah, Stars and has in there. Primes. And then uh, this brings us to uh, John's new segment. John, tell us about it.
1: Well, you know they say the best things in life are free. And sometimes the best <laughs> streams in life are free. I feel like, you know this kind of environment, sometimes you don't want to pay for a streaming service. So I'm here to offer you some quality films and whatever subject we're discussing that are free for you to stream without paying any money in any way. No free trial. The app is completely free. Um, This time the app is Pluto TV, which does have ads. Um, But both of these films I'm going to mention are also on Canopy, which is a streaming service through your library. And as far as I know, a library card is still free of charge. Just takes a little of your time, which is money, but not physical money. Anyway, a couple of noir picks um, that are free to stream. Uh, first one is *The Stranger* from 1946, directed by Orson Welles, um, starring Orson Welles and Loretta Young and Edward G. Robinson. It's about a man from the War Crimes Commission, Edward G. Robinson who suspects an important Nazi official may be hiding in a small Connecticut town. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best Orson Wellesom, but that's, you know, those are way high up there. But it's really fun, interesting, definitely worth a watch. uh, I'm a big fan of this film. And then my other pick, which may be um, a future Max review, is The Killing from 1956, directed by Stanley Kubrick starring Sterling mm. Hayden and Colleen Gray, Vince Edwards. It's a heist film involving the robbery, a very complex robbery of a racetrack um, and what ensues. I'm a huge fan of this film. It's in my weird top 167 as well. Uh, also on Pluto and Canopy. Highly recommend both of these films if you can get to them.
0: All right, and that that right. We're getting close to the end. Thank goodness, because I think we're all exhausted. I know I am. Uh, I am John, sweating because I'm in my car wing. and the
1: windows are up for, for silence and it is hot in here.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that doesn't sound good. Social Commitment. media? Yeah, let's, it's, uh, where can people find us on social media?
1: So if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at um, semi underscore cinematic or on Facebook. If it's not having an outage, you can find us
0: at <laughs> facebookcom slash semi cinematic one word. All right, tremendous. And and um and Max, what uh, did you say? What what is our email address? Whew, this is embarrassing. <laughs> we'll also have a letterbox account soon that people can follow. But yeah, and Max, uh, can you say what, what is our email address? Because I I don't know it. Our, our email for for Hunter and our listeners
2: is semi cinematic pod p o d at gmail.com.
0: Uh, all one word. Excellent. All right. Well, that is it for this week. So come back next week to hear us talk about two more hopefully great films, right? I mean, we hey, had great we're films. Hey, off to a great tonight.
1: start to the month. Great job, Hunter. I uh, yeah. really loved your picks.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I had, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with these. I really did. Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah, all strong right. start. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will... Uh, Talk again next week. Until then, Titan. (laughs) Adios.